So take your Bibles at this time and turn, if you would, please, to two passages of Scripture. We're going to start in John chapter number 12, and we'll stand in honor of God's uh, holy word as we turn to the sacred uh, scriptures <clears throat> here this morning. John 12, and then if you'd find your place also in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. So John 12, we're just going to read a verse there, and then we'll also, then we'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. So if you could find your place in those two passages of scripture. <clears throat> Our theme uh, this year is into his harvest. And the reason it is that is because our Savior told us to pray that laborers might be sent into his harvest because the news that we're celebrating today is, is too good to keep to ourselves. It, it needs to be proclaimed because he, he didn't just die for a few. The Bible teaches that he died for all. And that every man, uh, the Chinese living in China or Taiwan, uh, they need to know Jesus died for them just as much as he died for us. The man living in Uganda today, Jesus died for him. The woman in Uganda, etc. all around the world, Jesus died for all. So that, that good news, news needs to be proclaimed. So our theme is into his harvest. So as I noted in the uh, bulletin, I was surprised to see or be, and reminded that the, uh, the harvest terminology that is connected to the resurrection. So I'm excited about uh, reminding us of that, tying into that, just a special lens to look at the fact of the resurrection here this morning. So look what Jesus said in John chapter 12 in verse number 24. So John 12 in verse number 24, Jesus is saying in response to some, some Greeks, some non-Jews who came during the Passover. So this all connects to where we are right now, the celebration of the Passover. Uh, they came and they wanted, to, they wanted to meet Jesus. They wanted to see Jesus. And so they came to Philip and asked if they might see him and, so, and understand who he was. Well, the context of this is larger than what we have time for this morning. But Jesus knew his hour was come that he would be glorified by the cross. In verse 23, verse 24, Jesus says this. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, Except a corn, and the idea there would be a kernel or a seed, except a, a corn of wheat, <clears throat> notice this, fall into the ground and die. Everybody see that? Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. Notice this. But if it die, but if it die, it bringeth forth much, what? Fruit. If it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. That'd be a harvest. If it die, it brings forth a harvest. He applied that to disciples that would follow him. He that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it a life eternal. But it ultimately is talking about the fact that he would die and we are the harvest of his resurrection. All right, look at verse number 32 just right quick. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, that's by way of the cross, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men. I wonder what all means. Just exactly what you think it means. All, he would draw all men unto, uh, unto he says unto me, unto himself. All right, now, so Jesus says, except it die, uh, it cannot bring forth the harvest. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. 
All right, now turn, if you would. I realize you're still, sta you're still staying. You had forgot that, by the way. I've known some preachers that forgot. And had a, I guess I forgot a few times I left you standing. I'm not going to do that to you this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, though. Let's read a few verses here together. <clears throat> Jesus said, if it dies, it's going to bring forth much fruit. Paul said, moreover, brother, I'm reading verse 1. <clears throat> I declare unto you the gospel. The word gospel means good news. I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in, what does it say? Vain. Unless you've believed in, vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. How that? And here is the gospel in four statements. You ready? Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And number two, that he was buried. And number three, that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And number four, verse five, that he was seen. And so then the evidences are given. He was seen of Cephas, uh, that would be Peter, then of the 12. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, at one time, 500 brethren. Of whom the greater part remain unto the present, this present at the time that he wrote this. You know what he's saying right there? If you wanted to interview them, you actually could. There's probably about 500 people or so sitting right, right in here. I'm not sure what we'll have today. But if you all see the same thing, you're not all hallucinating. That would be a bigger miracle that they all hallucinated about the same thing. No, they all saw the same thing and lived to tell about it. But some are fallen asleep. In other words, some have passed away. And that, and then here it is again, verse 7, he was seen of James. That'd be his brother who is skeptical. There's a lot of people in the world that are skeptical. James was one of them, but he appeared to James. Um, verse seven, then of all the apostles. And then, then Paul says, says it this way. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that I am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But... By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in what? Vain, all right? But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, all right, now notice the problem that was in Corinth. We need to deal with it here today. How say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain. Then our preaching vain. And your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. 
For if the dead rise not, then is Christ not raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You got up early for no reason this morning. Your faith is vain and you are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now, I love verse 20. I never know exactly how to come into it. You know, I mean, you want to come in with all, just, it's just powerful. But now is Christ risen from the dead. And become, notice this, the first fruits. That means there's more fruit to come. If he's the first fruits, there's more. But he's the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. <laughs> I'm going to wear myself out just reading the passage. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. We'll preach about that tonight. I need to get you to lunch. The harvest of his resurrection, sown in death, Raised in life. Sown in death, raised in life. Let's think about it here this morning. May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. <clears throat> Annie Johnson Flint wrote several poems. She wrote one that I'm reading the last part of it. <clears throat> she wrote this. If the Christ who died had stopped at the cross, his work had been incomplete. If the Christ who was buried had stayed in the tomb, he had only known defeat. But the way of the cross never stops at the cross. And the way of the tomb leads on to victorious grace and the heavenly place where the risen Lord has gone. There's hope. Yes. Little eight-year-old boy with Down syndrome attended a third grade Sunday school class with several other eight-year-old boys and girls. And, and obviously typical of that age, they didn't understand uh, his condition and, and, and Down syndrome. And, and often he had a hard time perhaps fitting in. Well, the teacher did did what uh, the teacher could do to help that uh, to change. And, but around Easter time, I believe it was the Sunday after Easter, they, she came to class with uh, large plastic eggs, you know, that you put candy in or whatever. We're pretty familiar with that. But here's what she did. She said, I want you to go out into the, the church yard and I want you to find some symbols of new life. And so the kids scattered all across, you know, the yard and they, some of them, you know, picked little flowers and, and some caught little butterflies and some got leaves, you know, off a tree. Symbols of, 
new life and they put them in their little egg and they came in and then basically had a little show and tell as each of the eggs were open and, and the teacher opened up, you know, an egg and there was a little flower and then there was a little leaf and there was a little butterfly and symbols of new life. And then she opened up that next egg and it was empty. And all the, all the students said, somebody didn't do their assignment. Whose egg is this? And a little boy with Down syndrome raised his hand and said, that's mine. And they all began to make fun of him because he didn't do the assignment. And he said, no, I did do the assignment. Because the tomb is empty. And the empty tomb is the best evidence of the opportunity for new life. This uh, section of, of 1 Corinthians, as Paul wrote to a, a, a church that was in a very unique culture and, and much of the culture was coming into uh, their way of thinking and, and, a, and, and really just the world was getting mixed in the church. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Uh, we're in the world, but we're not supposed to take the world in on us and take on the characteristics or the ideas of the world, you see. But that's what they were doing. And Paul is, is writing to them, and this is the most in-depth discussion, by the way, of bodily resurrection in Scripture in terms of, of, of doctrine. And so uh, we're going to take this morning and tonight to try to just hit the high points of, of this section of Scripture. And I trust it will be a great help to you. But Paul, this isn't the first time that he had emphasized the cross because in chapter number one, he emphasized the cross. And he talked about how that to the Greeks, that it was foolishness. But to you, it's the power of God and to salvation and, and to the Jews, it was a stumbling uh, block. And, but to us, we understand that, that it leads to salvation. And so he's dealing with that. And the trouble in Corinth was this, as a Greek city, they were bringing in Greek thought and ideas and, and the Greeks scoffed at the idea of the resurrection. In Athens, as Paul preached, and in Acts chapter 17, it's recorded that the Bible says that when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked and others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. So it's evident that was the Greek culture. They scoffed at the resurrection. So in chapter 15, in verse number 12 here, it says that some of them say that there was no resurrection. Wonder where they got that idea. I mean, this was people in the church that was saying that, bringing skepticism into the church. There's no resurrection. And even to this day, uh, some would say that we are feeble-minded. Some would say that we are simple-minded. Some would say that we have to have a crutch to get through life. Hey, listen, friend, I need more than a crutch. I need a savior. <laughs> and so they would say that, though, intellectuals and, and, and people, you know, that, that have uh, degrees and they would, they would call what we're doing here today foolishness. And would scoff at the idea of a bodily resurrection. In fact, have tried to take the evidence of the resurrection and tried to explain it away by the swoon theory, saying that Jesus just swooned on the cross and, and that he just passed out to wake up later in the tomb. But when you really think about that, it's ludicrous. And then other theories that, and even back then, that were, that were fabricated. In, in fact, they, they paid individuals to say that his disciples came to steal his body from the grave. And, and in many ways, that's the lie that shows the truth of the resurrection. Because the, the, the Roman soldiers, they said, well, the disciples came and stole his body while we were asleep. 
Well, how do you know as the disciples? If you were asleep. You ever say something dumb as a kid when you were growing up? And you were busted? Well, they're busted right there. They didn't know it was the disciples because the disciples didn't still. So, so nonetheless, but there's scoffing that takes place at the, at the doctrine of the resurrection. Well, no wonder. No wonder there'd be scoffing. No wonder there would be the effort to try to disprove the resurrection because the resurrection is the central doctrine of the Bible. Everything hinges on the resurrection. I submit to you today, had he only died on the cross, he would have died like many men died. Had he been buried in that garden tomb, he would have been buried like many men were buried. But the fact that he came forth from the tomb, friend, sets him apart from all others, makes him qualified to be our Savior. It's a central message of the Bible. Everything leads up to it. Some of you may wonder, why do they show the Ten Commandments every year? Right? On TV. <laughs> why? Well, everything about the Old Testament, even including the Ten Commandments, is saying this. You need a Savior because you've broken His commandments. You need a Savior. Everything in the Old Testament is leading up. Everything from the New Testament is flowing out of the fact of the empty tomb. And Paul says, he says here, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, the good news, which I preached unto you, which ye also have received, wherein ye stand. And the word stand there is in the tense. That means you believe it in the past and it has an ongoing effect on your life. This morning, I want you to understand that that the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the doctrine, the teaching, the biblical teaching about the resurrection of the Jesus Christ is a load-bearing doctrine. Some of you have done some, you know, renovation of your home, and we, we've done that, and removed a wall, you know, to make our kitchen area larger. Well, you know what we had to do when we did that? Make sure that that was a, not a load-bearing wall. I'm telling you, the resurrection is a load-bearing doctrine. It's a load-bearing doctrine. And so notice what else Paul says here in verse number two as we just follow along with what he's saying, by which also ye are saved. You're saved. If you keep in memory. Now he's not, he's not saying there, here's the means by which you stay saved. Because once you're saved, friend, you are in Christ Jesus once and for all. But what he's saying here, the evidence that he lives within you proves that you have been saved. It's not the means by which you're saved, but it gives evidence that you are saved. If you keep in memory, he says, what I preach unto you, unless, he says, you've believed in vain. Now, I want everybody to notice that because I really tried to highlight it in our reading. Unless you've believed in vain. What does it mean to believe in vain? Because you need to know about that. Believed in vain. The word in vain would be this, without effect. Without effect. If what you've believed has not affected your life, you better check out and make sure what you believed. Because belief in Jesus and his crucifixion and resurrection, his burial and resurrection, is bound to have an effect on your life. I remember Brother Sam preaching here for many years and using the analogy on numerous times that if, a, if an EF5 tornado goes through our city, you're going to see the effects of that. 
You can't help but see the effects of that. Hey, listen, friend, when, when the creator of the world and the savior of mankind moves in to a person's life, that'll have an effect. So he's saying here, unless you have believed in vain or without effect. I'm afraid there are many people that make a profession, but do not have a possession of salvation. I want to say this morning, as, as an individual here, and you're listening to this, this message about the gospel that I'm about to explain, you need to know for sure. The Bible says that you can know for sure. You don't have to wait till later to find out if you're saved or lost. No, you can know today and know that your sins are forgiven, that you have a home in heaven, and that ought to have an effect on your life. He says that you have, unless you've believed in vain or without effect, and then he begins to explain what is the gospel. In verses three and four, he says, here is the gospel, that Jesus died for us. And I say to you, he died for you. That he was buried. He most certainly was buried in the garden tomb there of Joseph of Arimathea. He was buried in that tomb. The Romans verified that he was buried and they sealed the tomb. The Jews knew that he was buried. That's the reason why they were concerned about the empty tomb. I'm telling you, there's no question about it. There's no question. I mean, historically, not just in the Bible, but even outside of the Bible, they verify that a man named Jesus died by crucifixion. That is verifiable. He died by crucifixion. He was buried and watch this. He rose again. He rose again. And he was seen. He was seen. In fact, it lists them all. He was seen of Peter. He was seen by the 12. He was seen by more than 500. He was seen by James, his skeptic brother who went on to be the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He was seen <laughs> because I'm telling you, even though James was skeptical along with others, John chapter seven, verse number five, they were skeptical of him. But when he saw his resurrected brother, he became a believer and his resurrected brother became his resurrected savior. And it changed James' life forever and became a pastor. It's good for pastors to believe in the resurrection. He was seen by the apostles, a larger group evidently, and, and we know uh, the Bible would bear some of that out. And then last of all, and Paul, who by the way, his name was Saul initially, Saul, and the indication there I heard, I believe it was Adrian Rogers preaching this past week about how that his name was changed from Saul to Paul, and, and, and Saul means one of great significance. Paul means little. Because once he got saved, he realized he wasn't of great significance, but that Jesus was, and he changed his name to Paul. And so he, he was lastly seen of Paul and, and Paul didn't feel worthy to have seen the resurrected Christ but, but he, because he had been persecuted in even the church. And I'm telling you, friend, listen now, when, when Paul believed the resurrection of Jesus Christ and he saw him with his own eyes and interacted with him, I'm telling you, it totally changed his whole life. And many of these individuals went on to give their life as martyrs. They, be, they gave their life as martyrs, not for something that just that they believed, but something that they saw. There's a difference. Islamic extremists, extremists that die by suicide bombing, etc. They die believing a false religion. 
kamikaze pilots and others that, that died in, in, in various ways. They died for what they believed. I'm telling you, for listen, these men did not die for a set of religious beliefs. These men died, went to their graves saying, listen, we know he's alive because we saw him. We touched him. We ate with him. We heard him for the span of 40 days. Hey, listen, this is verifiable historical evidence of the faith that we that has been delivered to us. We are not believing a fable. This is not fiction. He appeared not just to those that were around him. He appeared to enemies such as James and Paul. Hey, listen, the Bible makes it very clear and historical evidence that makes it very clear that what we have believed is indeed true. Well, that ought to have an effect on your life. In fact, it's not good news if there's no resurrection. And that's what Paul is, is pointing out. He's saying if, 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 uh, if the resurrection is not true, then listen, you're, you're gathering today in vain. This is absolutely crazy that you'd get together and do this, especially if you're going to suffer for it. Our preaching is in vain. Listen to this quote by a man named George Eldon Ladd, and he said this, if Christ is not risen from the dead, the long course of God's redemptive acts to save people ends in a dead-end street, a tomb. If the resurrection of Christ is not reality, then we have no assurance that God is the living God. Why? Because death has the last word. In Islam, death had the last word. In Buddhism, death had the last word. In all the other world religions, death had the last word. But listen, friend, in biblical Christianity, death did not have the last word. Because the message of redemption did not end in the tomb. Paul says, how say some among you that, that there is no resurrection of the dead? How can you say that? You're influenced more by society than you are by scripture. And liberal preachers like the one I described to you in that illustration, you know, about uh, Alfred Al uh, Ackley, that, that liberal preacher that he heard in, in, in New York who said it doesn't really matter whether Jesus rose from the tomb or not. Listen, that's not true. It matters everything whether he really rose or not from the grave. Because if he didn't rise, then what we're doing here this morning is empty. It's ritualism. It's dead. I, I watched his brother uh, Javi Duque was walking in and had the, the uh, a hold, I used to have it, Brother Javi, uh, your, your lesson plan. If you just want to hold that up, he taught this morning. Second grade boys, is that right? Second grade boys, the crucifixion and resurrection. Is that what you taught them? Good. That's a good day to teach that. Crucifixion and resurrection. He taught second grade boys that, that Jesus was crucified, was buried, and rose again. Amen. He taught them that. These impressionable minds. And somebody would say that's, that's wrong, that he would impress these minds with lies. No, he's impressing their minds with truth that will undergird their whole life. 
Because someday that second grade boy is going to be 16 years old or 20 something years old and he's going to need to know what it means to have his sins forgiven and he's going to need to know what it means to have help in this life. And I'm glad that our brother Javi didn't teach him about a dead Savior this morning, but he taught them about the living Savior who can help anybody that's in a time of trouble. I looked around this morning, I saw some and their, their dad has gone to heaven this past year or their husband or their wife has gone to heaven or their mom has gone to heaven or grandma or grandpa has gone to heaven. Hey, listen, they've not believed in vain. They are in his very presence this morning because of the fact of the resurrection. Because see, if the resurrection is not true, it all just falls apart. The choir sang in vain, buses ran in vain, school, Sunday school classes met in vain. We're here in vain. I'm telling you, it's all vain. I'm wasting my time if Jesus is not alive. We might as well just eat, drink, and be merry. Just have a good time. Just live it up like the world's living it up and, and just having a good time because we're not going to last very long. You know, just about maybe 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 years, 100 if you, if you can really make it that far. Maybe we can just enjoy it all we can while we can because once you're dead, you're just dead. That's the world's mentality. But listen, friend, if it is true and it is that he is alive, then it makes a difference the way that you live your life. And it makes a difference what you believe. And it makes a difference what you do at work. And it makes a difference whether you're in church or out of church. Hey, I'm, listening, I'm telling you, friend, it's going to make an incredible difference. It's going to have an incredible impact in your life because the fruit of the resurrection is new life. New life. Paul was totally different. James was totally different. Mary Magdalene was totally different. Peter was totally different. James, John, all of them, they were totally different. And then the Corinthians, they were different, but they had some issues. And then the Romans were different, and they had issues. Hey, all God's people's got issues. Come on, you know I'm telling the truth right there. But here's what we've got in the midst of our issues. We've got a living Savior. Can't get over it. I don't want to get over it. I don't want to get over the resurrection because it makes us new. All things, all old things are passed away and behold, all things have become new. Hey, you say, well, you know, if I get involved in that Christian life, it's just going to be old and dull and boring. Did you look around here this morning to get the idea that we're kind of bored with this? This is not boring. This is the most exciting news upon the face of the earth that, that he is indeed alive and it ought to be sung with gusto and with, with praise and rearing back and just letting her fly because it's true. We're not trying to get into some emotionalism or some kind of frenzy and working ourselves up into that. No, we don't have to because we've got truth. Amen. But truth ought to have an impact on your life because he makes all things new. I just thought about it this morning. I don't know if I'm going too fast or not, but I've got a lot to say before you get to lunch. But I'm, I'm just simply saying this, that, that uh, listen, how can it get old when, when he's given us new life? See, what, what happens is that even as, as church people, I'm just going to talk to us as church people and believers, we can let the mentality of the world kind of come into our thinking and we can begin to think like the world thinks and, and things like this. Well, if you just married one person for your whole lifetime, that, gets kinda, that, that kind of gets monotonous. It's just monotonous. It, it, no, it's, it, no, it's not monotonous. It's what God planned. You say, well, it's just, that'll just get old. Not when you're made new. And every day you're new and you're being, hang on, is this, or is this making sense? And I'm being renewed and she's being renewed. I get a new wife every day. <laughs> okay, now don't lift that statement out of this video. <laughs> we got to keep that in the context, right? 
but she's growing. She's changing. I'm trying to grow. I'm trying to change. Are you following me? It's not old when it's new every morning. Don't listen to the world. Oh, mercy. Don't listen to the world. Don't, don't listen to the world that tells, hey, listen, young men, young ladies, don't listen to the world that says, hey, listen, if you really want a life that is like exciting to live, then, then get out of the church and start living it up out here. I'm telling you, that is a lie. It's a lie. I just uh, traveled to Indianapolis yesterday, or on Friday and came back yesterday and Angie spoke to the young ladies about, about womanhood and she said, who, who am I? W-H-O, I'm a woman, I'm a helper and I'm according to the order of God, what God ordered. And it was wonderful. She got to speak to the young ladies in there, right? Did I get it right? Okay, good. All right, and I spoke to the young men and here's what I told them. I, I preached to them, Brother Ted, about marriage and about being a dad. And a lot of them were like 12 year old looking at me like, why are you talking to me about that? But when is somebody going to talk to them about what it means to be a husband or a dad or be a responsible adult? And I said to him, listen, listen, you need to know this now because I, I maybe have opportunity to speak in a marriage retreat somewhere. And here's what happens inevitably nearly every time I have a man that'll come to me and say, man, I wish I heard this when I was 14 years old. So I thought, all right, I'm going to tell you this while you're 14. And if you're going to live this kind of life where you love your wife and you love your kids and you lead your family and, and really you are, you are blessed by God and used by God, then listen, you need to mortify some things that are upon this earth. And he talks about sexual sin and relational sins that needs to get out of there, out of life, because listen, you can't have that kind of life if you don't do this kind of life. And but the reason, oh, mercy sakes alive. I didn't mean to get into this preaching, but this is, this is right where we are because chapter number three, the first four verses says this, if ye be, then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. It's the resurrection. It's the fact that he's alive that I can mortify the members that are upon the earth, put it to death. Mortification is the only way to live. You, I like what one preacher told me right after I got done speaking. He helped me with the message and he said this, you got to kill it till it's dead. Kill it till it's dead. Kill those desires till they're dead. And kill that anger till it's dead. And kill that lying till it's dead. How can you do that? Not in the power of the flesh. But you can do that in the power of the Spirit. If He who rose from the grave is in you, He can help you tell the truth. He can help you overcome whatever habit is that's been having you bound for years. He can help you to live it out in your life. Why? Because the resurrection is not just a doctrine that we sing about. It's a doctrine that we live out every single day. I'm telling you, He's alive. He's alive and so am I. I don't serve a dead Savior. I don't, I, don't, I don't have a dead faith. He's alive and so am I. Mercy. I have no idea where I am in my notes, but. Death, start over, Brother Gary said start over. <laughs> Amen. Death came by Adam, but life came by Jesus. Adam later on, and then tonight we're going to see Adam was made a living soul. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He was not the product of evolution over a, a mil, millions and billions of years. No, listen, on day number six, God formed man of the dust of the earth. That's why we go back to dirt, because we are dirt. He, he made him of the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Hey, Adam was a living soul, and I'm saying to you today, you are a living soul. But Jesus, the last Adam, is a quickening spirit. In other words, he gave Adam physical life, but he's also able to give you spiritual life. Amen. I'm just simply saying today, 
If he's still dead, everything I said has been in vain. I just wasted your time. But now is Christ risen and become the first fruits. Because someday, even this body, do you understand what he's saying right there? The harvest of the resurrection is a new life and you're made new every day. And, and even as a pastor, pastoring doesn't get old. It doesn't get old. You know why? Because he's helping me be new every day. It's a new life. I get a new, get a new life. A mama can get a, I mean, a husband can get a new wife and a wife can get a new husband and, and a new daddy comes home and a new mama comes home. Why? Not because somebody different comes home, but because somebody who was in the house before came back different. He's become the first fruits. That means this. Someday if Jesus doesn't come back first, which that'd be my vote. But if he doesn't come back first, you're going to have the funeral service of Jason Gaddis hopefully right here. And I'll be buried. I've already, I don't have it paid for. <laughs> Got it in my mind at least where I'll be buried. No, put that body in the grave. Can I, can I say it this way? The shell, because sure. the soul and spirit's already gone. Because be absent from the body is present with the Lord. But they'll put that old shell on the body in 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 the tomb in the, in the grave. They'll they'll plant the seed. But Christ was the first fruits, which means there's more to come. At the last trump, with a shout, the dead in Christ shall be raised, incorruptible, planted like that, raised. We don't know exactly what it'll be like, but we know we'll be like him. He's the first fruits. Are you saved? Do you know him as your savior? Have you heard the gospel that, that was just preached to you that that yes, you're a sinner, but that he died and your place was buried and he rose again and he's able to save you. Amen. Have you believed that? How, how sad, how sad to know the gospel and reject it. How sad to know all that evidence and dismiss it. What evidence? He was seen. All these people. What are you going to do with that? Well, I'm... I think deep down you know it's true. And you could be resistant to it. But you, then you'd be like a, a doctor that I read about. Ironically, he helped people with lung cancer. But he took a scan of his own chest and found lung cancer had set in because he'd been smoking for 40 years. Listen to this. He knew the evidence. He knew the evidence and yet he within five months had passed away because he'd been disregarding the evidence and thought it won't affect me. I'm telling you, friend, listen, you could have grown up in Sunday school and church and known all this evidence, but it's not going to impact your life until it is applied. But once it is applied, it gives you new life. Let's stand together here this morning.
How many of you today, as we stand and prepare for what we call an invitation, it's God's invitation for lost sinners to come and be forgiven of sin, to receive that new life we've been talking about. It's an invitation for believers who, like maybe some of those in Corinth, were living more for themselves than for the resurrected Savior. They were saved, but they weren't living like it. It's an invitation for that. It's an invitation for those that have been saved and trying to live for Christ just to come and say, Lord, thank you and help me to live for you. How many of you today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, could raise your hand and say, I know I'm saved. I've trusted him as my Savior. Would you just raise your hand to that as a testimony of his saving grace? That, that what I'm seeing right now is the fruit, the harvest of the resurrection. May God be, be praised. Thank you. May put your hand down. Is there anyone here today that say, preach, I couldn't raise my hand right there because I don't know for sure. Jesus died for you. He loved you. He loves you. He was buried and rose again that He might be your Savior. If you couldn't raise your hand right then, would you just raise your hand now and say, just acknowledge it. I'm not going to ask anybody to come to you or in any way embarrass you, but I, I'm just concerned about you. I want to know, and, and it helps when we acknowledge things like this. If I die today, I don't know for sure. Would you just raise your hand? Is there anybody like that? I'm looking all around the auditorium this morning. Anybody like that? Just raise it high where I might see it. Anybody like that? I'm waiting just, just a moment here to make sure I'm not overlooking someone. Would you raise your hand just briefly? How many of you as believers would say, Preacher, I needed that reminder this morning and I need to be living more for Him and letting it have an effect in my life? Would you raise your hand? Because I think that's a big part of what Paul was saying right there. No doubt about it. Thank you. God, I just want to come to you as the choir gets ready to sing our invitation and um, helps us, Lord. And, and we have a time to pray and a time to respond. Would you help us to do so? We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us first and coming and dying and being buried and rising again. In Jesus' name, amen. Page 257, if you'd like to join the choir in singing as we have an invitation song. Some have already come. If you would like to come, you want to talk to somebody, counsel with someone, you're welcome to come. Would you come on this very first verse?